You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Colt at the River. Tonight I'm going to be ministering on, I've entitled that, Failure is Never Final. And what I mean by that statement is this. So often in the body of Christ, we end up having missteps. We end up going down the wrong path. And sometimes what Satan will do is he'll discourage you to such a degree that you think that the failure in your life is final. And you start thinking, well, I don't think I'll ever be able to do any better than what I'm doing right now. I've messed up so many times, I don't think God can really do much with me right now. And you'd be surprised how many people are in the church that believe that they've made so many mistakes, they've dug a hole so deep that they'll never be able to climb out of it. But I'm going to show you tonight that failure is never final for a believer. I don't care how many mistakes you've made, God's grace is greater than the sin in your life. Amen? Amen. And so we're going to look at that tonight, probably one of the, the, the world's greatest bloopers through uh, David, who is a man after God's own heart. So if you would look up on the screen here at 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it says this, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when the king's go out to battle, that David sent Joab, his servant, with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, it is, uh, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elman, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent a messenger and took her, and she came to him. And he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurities, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am with child. And then David said to Joaz, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Job sent Uriah to David. Now, there's a lot in this I want to put out. But the first thing I want to say is simply this. Some people have interpreted this and said, well, the problem was David. David used his power as a king and really basically raped Bathsheba, and so they kind of give David a very negative perspective from this, but I, I believe personally that Bathsheba had a little bit to play with it too. Now, it wasn't unusual to bathe in the evening, but when you're bathing on the house or the top of your house and the palace is next to you, it's it's kind of, to me, a little bit sedu seductive. Can you say amen? And this story is so unique because uh, the theologians, they estimate that Bathsheba was somewhere between 16 and 19 years old. And she had no other children, which means that she had just been recently married to uh, the man that was out in battle, one of the warriors of, of David, Uriah. 
And so they had no children because most Jewish women, once they got married, within 12 months they would be pregnant. So this hadn't happened to her. And so David, he's, his first mistake, like most men, is he had too much time off. Can you say amen, guys? You remember the statement your father used to tell you? Idleness is the devil's workshop. And that's exactly what happened to David. David is about ready to make one of the biggest mistakes in his life because he's got too much idle time. He should have been out with the kings. He should have been out of the battle. And if you study history a little bit, you'll discover that one of the times he went out, David, he got into a fight and he was actually warring himself and almost lost to an opposing uh, enemy. And one of his soldiers came in and rescued him. So they probably said to him, listen, you're getting too old. Just stay at the palace. But he should have went and stayed on the hill and watched the soldiers go down and fight. Can you say amen? Because he was out of his place or purpose. And when that happened, he did something that he knew was wrong. I mean, think about it for a minute. The Bible says that Job made a covenant with his eyes. Which means he made a covenant that he wasn't going to look on a woman in the wrong way. Here's David, peeping Tom from the palace, checking out this 16, 19-year-old that's bathing, brings her to his palace. Obviously, she had a little bit to do with it, or she would have cried rape, or at least told her husband Uriah the Hittite after the event had happened, but none of that happened. And so here's what people do when they make a mistake. They either confess it or cover it up. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good tonight. We either confess it or cover it up, and David wanted to cover it up. And he would have got away with it uh, if Uriah would have slept with his wife. Because what David did is he sent for him to come back because he found out she was pregnant and figured, okay, well, if he, he sleeps with her, then everyone will just think it's his kid. And since there was no way to tell whose child was from who, like in our day, uh, David would have got away with it. But how many know that your sins will find you out? Can you say amen? So David is making this major mistake in his life. And, and a lot of people think, well, you know, God will never be able to use David again because he's failed to obey God. In his word, he's failed to follow his ways. He's failed to do that. And the devil, I'm sure, tried to beat David up on this. But God is such a loving God that even in the midst of failure, God can bring forth great blessing. Amen? So in the story, he sends for Uriah the Hittite. He comes back. Now watch this guy. He's a soldier. He is, and, and let me just say this about Uriah the Hittite. He was one of the 30 men that were called the elite warriors with David. In fact, David knew his father, knew the family. Here's people that he fought side by side with. Faithful guy. So he brings him off the battlefield, brings him back, and he really wants him to have sex with his wife, but he says, no, I can't do this. It's not right. Everybody else is fighting. He's so loyal to the purpose and the cause, he won't even go with his wife. So he goes back to the battle. And so David, what he does is he writes a letter to the commander that's over the battle and tells him to put him out on the front lines and then withdraw the soldiers so that he'll be killed. 
I mean, and th this is not some, this isn't adultery because we were friends and one thing led to another. This is open sin. Usually when you deal with adultery, people spend too much time with someone from the opposite sex and, and they begin to talk about things beyond what they should with a another friend. And it leads from one thing to the next and they start getting fond of each other. That's usually how it happens. This is different with David. David, which is outrightly, wanted to have an affair with this woman and get away with it. Say amen. But the Bible sees this man after God's own heart. Amen. Now, guys, listen to me carefully. You could be just like David on your phone. You could be just like David on the Internet. It is so easy to see pornography. You can be just like David on the television if you look at everything that's on there. So we, we need to be careful because if we make a mistake like this, yeah, we can turn to God and God will take our failure and turn it into a success in our lives. But there's a lot of suffering that goes on that doesn't need to go on if we would just be careful in, in that area. Can you say amen? In fact, I want you to see this verse. This is in Micah chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. Look at this verse. This would give you comfort. Because see, there's people here tonight... You have made some mistakes, missteps, weren't led by the Spirit, and the devil's beating you up, telling you that there's no way that you'll ever become what God wants you to become now. You've messed up too many times, too many ways, too many areas in your life. There's no possible way you're ever going to amount to anything because God can't use you because you're defiled and whatever in your life. I'm telling you tonight that even though you have made a mistake, God's grace is greater than the mistake. You just need to turn to God. Now, notice what happens. It says here, do not rejoice over me, my enemies. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me, and he will bring me forth to light, and I will see his righteousness. Come on, everybody. Give God praise. In other words, it's, it's a verse that's talking about how God, even when we fail him in this area, how many have ever, you know, you had that moment in church and you dedicated yourself to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm not going to let that slip up anymore in my life. And you go along, along for about two weeks and all of a sudden you, you do the same stupid thing over again. And when it happens, many times the devil will be whispering in your ear and say, this is why you're never going to get anywhere with God. You're never going to be able to live up to what he's called you to do. And people then will settle in the bottom place of their life and not climb out. God wants you to climb out tonight. I want you to climb out tonight. And I'm not encouraging that you would take sin lightly at all. But if you have messed up, it's not over for you. It's not over till you, for you until you stop breathing and go to the other side. You can break through and become all that God has called you to be. And even though you've messed up and even though you did the wrong thing, even though you thought wrong, even though you maybe you were deceived, it does not matter. God's grace is still greater. You just need to turn to him and receive his help so that you can get that breakthrough that God has called you in life. And everybody loved him and said amen. Praise God. 
Now, I'm going to show you something about this that will help. And this is one of the reasons why people fail. And the failure keeps in their life. It's negativity. Negativity. The Bible says that worldly sorrow brings forth death. But godly sorrow is not to be repented of. Now, I want you to understand the, the difference here. Godly sorrow is you have done something, you feel bad about it, and you repent. That's godly sorrow. The difference is worldly sorrow goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. In other words, what happened in the first marriage, you still are grieving over it. You're still upset about it. You still beat yourself up over it. And it continues and continues. It produces death. God wants you to know this one thing. Once you turn to him and confess your sin, don't grieve over the past. Don't grieve over what you did that was wrong. Just follow God. Put all of your energy in it. Because whenever you're in that state of depression like that, it will produce death in your life. God wants you to come out of it, and you're not going to come out of it if you allow yourself to stay down. You've got to start to rejoice, think about what you can do right now, and do it with all your heart. Now, I want you to think about the story. This sin that David did was so severe that God sent a prophet to him. And he gives him a little parable of someone who took advantage of someone who had less... And then the prophet said, and you're the one. After David said, that person is worthy of death. So David repented. The problem was he couldn't fix what he had done. He couldn't bring the man back from the dead uh, that he had sent to his death. You can make decisions in your life you can't fix. You could, commit, you could be unfaithful and your wife divorces you over it. Uh, you, you could uh, get drunk and hit somebody with a car and not be able to fix what you did. You destroyed the person. And even in that case where it seems like failure is final, when you turn to God, he's still able to restore you. But when that happens, you've got to let go of what happened and press in. The prophet told David that his child that he had with Bathsheba would die. David fasted so bad for the child once the child was, was born that the people in the palace thought that David would maybe commit suicide if God didn't heal the child. That's how bad it was. And in the story, David, once the child dies, he made this statement. He said, I can't be with him right now, but I'll be with him later. He washed himself and went out and, and did not allow the grief to grip him at all. In other words, what was he doing? He did the best he could to try to stop it. He couldn't stop it. So he accepted that, and he went out then and began to practice his faith. And what's so beautiful is here you got a woman, Bathsheba, who is an adulterous woman as well as David was, both in cahoots. Can you say Amen. If she had been raped, she never would have married him, but she married him. And what's beautiful about it is, is even though Bathsheba messed up, the Bible, the second child that she had was Solomon. Solomon was one of the wisest men in the world. 
Can you say amen? So what seemed like a failure, God turned into a success. What seemed like something that couldn't give you the breakthrough, gave you the breakthrough. That's how God, great God's grace is in your life. And did you know that Bathsheba, Solomon built a throne specifically for his mother. And when he ruled Israel, he had a throne there that his mother Bathsheba sat on. She was what he talked about was the virtuous woman. But she had a failure in the beginning, but it wasn't final. In other words, they turned to God, and God rebuilt their lives and turned them into an example of success rather than failure, an example that you can come out of the darkness you've been in, an example that it's not too late for you, an example that you haven't went too far, that God can bring you out. Say, say amen, praise God. Because failure is never final when you're a believer in Christ. You just need to turn to the Lord and trust him. Amen? And it'll be painful, but God can still restore you and bring you to the life that God wants you to have. But here, I'll give you an example of someone whose life is in a state of failure that continues on. Someone who's always feeling bad about what happened. They're always moping around. Well, I wish I'd done this. I wish I would have got some advice when I built, when I built my business. It went belly up. We lost everything. Or I wish I would have... Uh, Taking my family to church, I'd still have a family. I wish, I wish, I wish. That's a person whose failure continues. But the person that the failure isn't final is the one that says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I thank God that God has forgiven me of all my sins, past, present, and future. And I'm going to serve God with all my heart, with all my mind. And God is not done with me until I breathe my last breath. There's still mountains to take. There's still things to conquer. There's still relationships to develop. And God has a purpose and a plan for me. And in spite of my sin, God can use me in a great way. Praise God. That's powerful. It's the power of redemption that a lot of people miss, that that's exactly what Christ came to give us in our lives. And I want to say something at this point that I think will help you. I believe that negativity and bad attitudes is one of the worst things that a Christian can do that leads from one problem to another. Did you ever notice that defeat is a road that has been traveled on many, many times? There's always a pattern of negativity that follow a defeated life. It seems like that defeat becomes a rut in their life and they can't seem to come out of it. But we've got to be Christians. We've got to say, Jesus, you said give thanks in everything. You said to count it all joy. You said that I'm more than a conqueror. You said that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And when you begin to approach it with faith, God will begin to bring you out of it. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to say something here at this point that I believe will help a lot of you. How many know that in the world we live in, there, a lot of people want to be famous? How many have seen that? But what's wrong with the world is they want to be famous, but they want to go about the wrong way. And I want, to, I want to just tell you, Scripture tells us that God wants all of you to be famous in this sense. He wants you to be so successful that your influence grows all around you. 
God told Abraham that one of the blessings was he would make him famous. God told David that he would make him famous more, just like the people that were in the world at that day. That's what he did with Solomon. God's not against being famous. What he's against is if you compromise to try to become famous. Can you say amen? Now, I'm saying that because I want you to see in this message that David was a man that was a high achiever. He was a man that wanted to finish God's will, complete God's will. He he was a man that had a purpose that even though he had some time that he failed, whatever, God never changed what he wanted to do. He wanted to promote him. He wanted to exalt him so that his testimony of what God had done in his life would affect other people in life. And God wants to do the same thing with you. That's why you read in the book of Hebrews, it's called the uh, chapter 11, the heroes of faith. These are people whose names are written down that have a reputation of doing things that had never been done before because God helped them. And whatever you, wherever you're at, God wants you to be that mother that starts a generation of children that, that cause them to follow God. And people, when they mention that family, they go, yeah, they're godly people and they have been solid and they have been productive and they have helped this and that. God wants every one of us to excel like that. And you don't think the devil wants to, he wants to stop you. He wants you to be known for your mistakes. God wants you to be known for your obedience in him. He wants you to be known for what you can do with faith. He wants you to be known for the grace that was given to you in your life. He wants you to be known for that. Think about it for a minute. God says he'll remember your sins no more. Now, we know that God isn't God Alzheimer's. He's fully aware of every sin that person has committed. But what it means is he'll never hold it against you. In other words, he'll never say, okay, you did that 10 years ago, so I'm not going to bless you now. Or you did that 15 years ago, I'll never bless you. No. Once you get that sin forgiven, he doesn't count it anymore. It's no longer something that disqualifies you. You brought it to the cross. The blood of Jesus removes it. And God says, now you're in a right state. Now you can move. Now you can do what I... Glory to God. That's awesome. And he wants to do that. So let me say this, that God wants every one of us to have a winning attitude and be a winner when it comes to believing that we can. He wants every one of us to do that. He wants us, the scripture calls it the spirit of faith. The spirit of faith is what a coach would do with his team. Get together and all put their hands together. Go, rah, rah, we can do it, whatever. That's the spirit of faith. It's a spirit of winning. God wants you to win over your financial problems. He wants to win after your health problems. He wants you to win over your marriage problems. He wants you to win over your family issues. He wants to be glorified by his power coming through and blessing you abundantly in Jesus' name. He doesn't want you to be a failure. He wants you to be a success. I heard this story years ago, and it's a hilarious story, but it's a story about a farmer. And he had this mule, and one day the mule was out in his property, and he fell into this big pit. And the pit was so deep that the farmer could not get the mule out of the, out of the pit. It was just too deep. So he said, well, the best thing I can do is just bury him. So he filled up his dump truck with some, with some dirt and... And he went over to the 
hole where the, uh, where the mule was, and he began to pour in dirt. And this mule had this stubborn spirit. I'm not going under. And every time the dirt would go in, he'd put his feet on top of the dirt. And they keep putting in more dirt. And he just keeps stamping like this until eventually all the dirt that was put in there that was to bury him became the very source that brought him to the top. In other words, Satan can be a stepping stone. All the things he throws at you can be a stepping stone to great success, a stepping stone to overcoming, a stepping stone to, to being more than a conqueror. Whatever he throws at you. Hallelujah. But you got to be determined in that sense to receive the restoration that God wants you to have. I want you to turn to a neighbor right now and say, listen, I know you're not perfect but God's not done with you. Come on, if you can't do it a little bit louder than that, we got a problem. Just tell them God's not done with you. He's got great plans for you. He wants you to be blessed over the top in your life. Now, let me give you some spiritual advice here how to do this, because we're talking about how never to make failure final in our lives. Here's the key. You want to write this down. Release, or you need to learn how to release to be able to receive. In other words, I'm going to have to release some things to be able to receive from God the things that I need in my life to give me the breakthrough. But if I don't know how to release it, I'm not going to be able to receive. And what I'm talking about is guilt. I'm talking about fear. Talking about condemnation. You've got to be able to release that to the Lord before you can receive from the Lord what you need to come out of the mess that you're in. Let me give you a verse. Romans 8.1 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation. Say no condemnation. And then it's for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It says free from the law of sin and death. And then it says this, the part I want you to see, verse 3. He says, for the law could not because of the weakness of the flesh. But God, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, condemned sin in the flesh. What's he talking about? He said, God removed condemnation not by anything you did, but by Jesus putting it on himself. In other words, laddie, Jesus, take your guilt. Taking Jesus, bear your sins upon himself. That was the only way because he says, you can't do it because of the weakness of the flesh. Let me, let me, let me prove it to you. If you're married, you probably had this happen. Especially if you're a novice at marriage. Where your wife gets you upset, and this little thought goes in your mind, I'll show her I won't talk to her for at least one day. What are you trying to do? You're trying to overcome the flesh with the flesh. You can't do it. You know what happens the second day? You're ducking. The second day, she is so mad. Because of how you treated her the day before. Because you're trying to overcome the flesh. Or the husband says, you're sleeping on the couch tonight. Same principle. 
You can't overcome the flesh that way. You can only overcome the flesh by the cross. Only by accepting Jesus who accepted your condemnation, who accepted your guilt, who accepted your fear, and gave you his righteousness, his authority, his power in exchange. He became that sacrificial lamb to remove condemnation from your life. He condemned condemnation in the flesh when he went on that cross. Condemnation is the reason why you can't change. It's the reason why you keep repeating the same problems over and over and over again. It's an underlining condemnation that's inside of you, and you try to overcome it with the flesh, and all it does is, 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 is manifest this way or manifest that way or manifest this way. It just expands. You never conquer it until you come to Jesus. And he removes that condemnation by telling you, listen, I took it. I took it on the cross for you. I took your guilt on the cross for you. So now you can have my righteousness. Never again do you need to bear something I bore for you. I bore your sins. I bore your fears. I bore your condemnation. Don't you bear it. Give it to me. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. That's how you come out of it. So many people are still beating themselves up over something they did in the past. What you need to say is, wait a minute, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus because Jesus took it all on himself. I've been made the righteousness of God not because of what I've done. See, you can't get rid of condemnation by good works. It won't work. Flesh is too weak. You can only get rid of condemnation by faith in Christ. That's the only way you get rid of it. And the root of it will grow up, and it'll, it'll grow up in every one of your weaknesses. I always lose my temper. And it grows fruit with branches and everything else. Or it grows up in pride. Well, no one really thought of me when I was younger, and I had to do it myself or whatever. It's all from that condemnation down here. You get rid of that condemnation, the pride goes, the lust goes. Come on. It leaves you just like that. So you got to get strong in the words. Wait a minute. Devil, you're coming to me telling me that I, that, that I, that I got all this kill or whatever, and I'm telling you right now that Jesus was the guilt offering for me, and he took it away from me. Now, I don't have time to get into all this, but there's actually five sacrifices in the Old Testament that represent Christ. One of them is called a guilt offering. Now, Jesus is a one-time sacrifice that fulfilled all of that. The guilt offering, listen, this is how it worked. Let's say that you took advantage of somebody, stole their sheep or whatever. In order for you to get forgiven of that sin... You had to pay the person back the land that you stole from them and 20% on top of it. So the one who pays the price also is the one that brings the restoration. So in the scripture, when it says that Jesus was a sacrifice for our sins, he was also a sacrifice for the guilt offering, which means Jesus not only took the guilt but he also gives back to us the restoration. 
He also, in other words, no one is restored or no one receives freedom from guilt. Let me say it this way. Guilt has to go first before restoration comes. You never find restoration until guilt is gone. As long as there's guilt, there's no restoration. Get rid of the guilt, and God will send you the restoration. Get rid of the condemnation. Quit beating yourself over it. Stop it. If you've repented, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop pointing fingers at yourself. Because, see, failure is only final when you do it by the flesh. But if you do it according to the gospel, it's not like that at all. It gives you the victory that God wants you to have and the breakthrough that God wants you to have. So you got to get rid of the guilt inside, the condemnation inside. How? You give it to the Lord. He bore it. He didn't want you to bear it. He bore it. Why bear something that he already bore? Why carry something that he already carried for you? Let him have it and receive his peace. Receive his righteousness. And then you'll have the power to be consistent in your faith. Because the reason why you're not is because of guilt and fear and condemnation. Get rid of the root and it won't produce the negative fruit. Hallelujah. Now I know this is weird to you. You're thinking, oh man, I thought I had to earn it. No, you don't have to earn any of it. Zippo. The flesh, the law couldn't, is weak. You can't earn it by what you do. You can earn it by the one you believe in. Jesus. Now, as I'm preaching to you, some of you have lived fairly normal lives. So maybe it doesn't hit you as hard. You know, I've never been unfaithful to my wife. And so I, can't, I don't have a track record of anything like that. But everybody has some mess-ups, whether it's a small mess-up or a big mess-up. And if you don't know how to go to the cross, Satan will get you locked into it, and you'll find that this thing you did in the past is limiting what you can do right now. I'm not good enough to do this. I can't do this. I'm not, you know, I'm not wise. I can't do this. I, I tried it. I did that back then. That's why I can't do this. And, and even though God is saying, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You got to give it to me. You got to give me. I'm the one that took the pain. I'm the one that took that curse. I'm the one. Quit trying to carry it yourself. Quit trying to conquer it by your own efforts and just give it to me. And that's, that's how the the breakthrough works. Now, Philippians 3, well, this will be our last verse. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12, 13, he said this. He said, Paul said, you know, by no means I've reached that level where I'm super spiritual. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But he says, one thing I have, that I have done is I forget the things that are behind while I'm reaching for the things that lie ahead. I preached this last week. And my question is this. How do you forget what you did. How do you forget your mess-ups and go in confidently that I can do it right this time? How do you forget that? Well, you know, I always try to do pretty much anything my wife asks me to do if I have ability to do it. And sometimes she'll call them and say, honey, can you go to the grocery store and 
pick up this little list of this? I said, sure, baby, no problem. Nine times out of ten, I end up at the grocery store. I forget what she told me. So I get on my phone, baby, what, what was it again? I told you, and then she gets mad and tells me what it is. But you know why it's that way? Because I'm preoccupied with something else. You get preoccupied with your vision and your dream. It's easy to forget the person that just stabbed you in the back. Get preoccupied with succeeding. Get preoccupied with having more than enough. Get preoccupied with getting your breakthrough. Get preoccupied with moving mountains. Get preoccupied with being everything that God has called you to be. And everything else will begin to slip away. And you won't think about it anymore in your life. Amen? So you have to be able to release it. Release it. Release it to receive what God has. If I keep hanging on to it, I won't. And here's a hard thing. People have our time with this. God forgives you. Why can't you forgive yourself? If God forgave you, why can't you forgive yourself? Let me say it again. If God forgave you, why can't you forgive yourself? Why are you still talking about the day you made the stupid mistake? Because you haven't forgiven yourself. Here's a verse for you. Isaiah 43, 25. It says that God blots out our sins for his own sake. You know what that means? It means God can't bless you if he hadn't forgiven you of your sins. He can't give you his blessing unless he had forgiven you. You have to forgive yourself for your own sake. So that God can give you what he has promised you. But if you can't let go of it and you can't release it, you won't be able to do it. I kind of liken it on to, now I'm not much of a boater, but I have one on some boats with people who own boats. And one of the things you do when you come up on a dock is you tie it off with rope, right? Here's what people are like that haven't been able to release that guilt and condemnation to the Lord. They're like, okay, let's go on a cruise. Let's follow God's will here. And they get in their boat and they try to take off, but, the, but it's still tied to the dock. You can make a big wake, but you don't go anywhere. You got to let go of what was holding you. And what holds us is guilt. What holds us is regret. What holds us is fear of failing because we failed in the past. It holds us. You are the only one that limits your salvation. There is no limit on salvation. There is no height that is too high for salvation. There is no breadth to it that is too narrow. There's no limits on salvation. The only one that can release it is you, and the only one that can limit is you. You got to do your part. God can bring you right up to the gate, but you have to open the gate. God can bring you right to the blessing, but you've got to receive it. So you've got to release that condemnation, release that fear, and remember this, 
that salvation has no limits. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River app, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.